0: Good morning again and welcome. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it's our privilege to have you with us. If you have your Bible in just a minute, we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. So you can go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 28. Uh, just a couple of things to mention as we get started this morning. We do have equipping studies beginning tonight. I'm not sure if Pastor Adam mentioned that already. If he did, forgive me for doubling up. But uh, our equipping studies are short-term, small group Bible studies that we do uh, two or three times throughout the course of the year. So they'll begin tonight. They'll last about six weeks. There's about seven different classes you can choose from, six or seven, um, that you could choose from. I'm doing one on evangelism. There's one on um, church history. There's a student uh, uh, group. There's some women's stuff. Lots of different options one specifically for men this time. So I would encourage you, if you have not signed up to do so, you can look in the back hallway, back behind here. There's a a board that's got information about it. There's probably still some booklets out front, or you can look on our website, and uh, on our website you can find a list of the things that are available. Even if you didn't sign up, you can still show up tonight. We'd love to have you be a part of those groups tonight as we get together for our equipping studies. All right, having said that, if you have your Bible, hopefully you've made it to Acts chapter 28. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and honor God's word. Now, listen. I need you to pay good attention. We need to do this right. Get up. Good job. That's right. That's right. Get up. Good. 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 We have two more sermons in Acts this week and next week. Okay. So, the 8:30 service did a really good job of paying attention. There was a lot more of them than there are y'all right now. I, mean, I just want y'all to know. If you really want to show up to the big service, apparently people like to get up early. So, uh, but. Uh, uh, b- Jump in with us in Acts twenty-eight because this is the last, next to last sermon. So you're in the eve of uh, of the end of Acts. So listen closely as we 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 read God's word beginning in Acts chapter twenty-eight, verse eleven. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, or wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit. And arrived at Regium, and after a day the south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found the brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far uh, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when you come into Rome, Paul... Check. Check, check. I'm going to need that podium right there, please, or a podium. All right. This is exciting. See, y'all have, already met, y'all have already been bad. I told y'all that y'all had to behave and behave better than the 830, and now we already have this. So this is great service. Thank you very much. All right. Acts chapter 28. This morning, the sermon out a display of power, and I just ask you, is it too late for the gospel? Is it too late for... Is it too late for the gospel? Do you ever do you ever fear that it might be? We live in a culture where Christianity is increasingly marginalized. Now, one would be hard-pressed anymore to classify our culture, the United States of America, as a Christian nation. Now, this has been politicized on both sides of the aisle, but we must avoid such politicization. Our commitment to Christ has got to be pretty political. Our, our commitment to Christ has got to be bigger and and earlier than our commitment to anything else. It's got to be our foundational belief system. But even if we could say, or if we do say, that our culture has really abandoned much of its Christian moorings, that still leaves us with this question, what do we do? Where do we turn? Is our culture too far gone to be redeemed? Is your family too far lost to be saved? What about if you're here today and you were afraid that when you walked in that the doors might blow off or the place might burn down? Is there still hope for you? I want you to know this morning that the gospel is enough and nobody has sinned too far that Jesus cannot or will not save them and it is never, ever too late for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you're wondering maybe perhaps how does that fit in? This morning we're going to focus most of our attention in this sermon on Acts chapter 28 verse 11. Where Paul says, or excuse me, where Luke writes, after 3 months we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with a twin gods as a figurehead. When you begin to believe that you live in a culture that is far removed from Jesus Christ, I want you to know that our culture is nowhere near as far away from the things of Christ as the culture in which Paul was preaching. Our culture is nowhere near as far away from Christian moorings as the culture into which the church was born. You see, the Roman culture was pregnant with worship of pagan gods and goddesses. So much, in fact, that this ship upon which Paul was to sail had either painted, probably engraved or carved into it, gods. Twin gods, to be exact, Castor and Pollux is what we know them to be. If you know anything about astrology and you know a little bit about uh, the stars in the night sky, the constellation Gemini is made up of these twin gods, um, or at least according to Greek mythology, Castor and Pollux. They were known as the savior gods, and they were especially powerful. It was believed they were especially powerful for those who were seafaring people. And so these twin gods, Castor and Pollux, were carved into the ship and the idea there was that these gods would provide protection for the sailors and for the ship at sea so that their cargo may arrive safely at the place where they intended and desired for it to be going. So when we think about exactly what it looks like to live in a non-Christian culture. The, the, the culture of Rome in the first century was f- much further removed from Jesus than ours is. They were even carving gods into their ships just so that they could hopefully have some degree of safety. But it wasn't just that. I mean, the sexual promiscuity that you might think characterizes our culture doesn't look anything like anything like the lack of morality that was a part of roman culture the the idea that we might have lots of varying belief systems in our world doesn't look anything like the first century and as a result of that i believe that we can have great hope for the power of the gospel because this same gospel that could speak so powerfully into that culture is still powerful to speak into our culture Three things I want us to see. First thing I want us to see this morning is this. Non-Christian must not mean no Christian. Non-Christian must not mean no Christian. Now, I mentioned to you that this ship on which Paul was traveling had these Greek gods carved into it somewhere. They were there for a specific purpose. They were carved into it as a form of pagan worship with the hope and the prayer, literally, that these gods would provide them safety and security. Now imagine if Paul showed up, and you got to work with me. I know Paul's a prisoner, but still let's just imagine for a moment if Paul showed up and Paul saw that on the side of that ship and Paul said, wait a minute now. I see that this is not a Christian ship. As a matter of fact, this is a non Christian ship, and I'm not going to get on it because this is a non Christian ship ship well we know that paul would have never made it to rome we know that the gospel wouldn't have been preached there and god's will would not have been accomplished through paul because paul would have lived in disobedience folks i want you to know that our culture doesn't honor christ but just because the culture is not christian doesn't mean that we should not be in the places where non-christians believe non-christians belong where non-christians live we've got to make certain that we're doing all we can to impregnate our culture with the message and the hope of the gospel of jesus christ listen i want you to be aware of christian subcultures that advocate separation from the world at the expense of impacting the world with the gospel listen there's comfort in my christian bubble there's a lot of comfort in my christian bubble but the comfort that i have in my christian bubble must not keep me From impacting others with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ it can be tempting I know what it's like I'm a parent I know what it's like to want to protect my children from literally everything and as a result it can be really tempting to sort of build these big walls around them put them in sort of this cloister and sort of this monastery and we're just gonna love Jesus on the inside and literally just to hell with everybody else on the outside because we're gonna focus on making sure that we do the right thing right here but you understand exactly what happens in that moment When we do that, then we might burn brightly within our little communities with the good news of Jesus, but we have neglected to carry that good news to the people who most desperately need to hear it, those who are far from Christ. We've got to make certain that even in our non-Christian culture and in the non-Christian corners of our culture, that non-Christian is not allowed to mean no Christian. And listen, y'all, let's just be totally honest. Just because something is dedicated... To paganism or secularism Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be a part of it We gotta be careful that we don't allow Some of our superstitions to get in the way It was, uh, a matter of fact After the service this morning One of our men on the way out the door told me Just a few minutes ago That he was aware of, uh, of a friend that flew an airplane And, and he transported missionaries on that airplane And uh, he flew uh, to pick some missionaries up To go take them wherever they were going And when they came out to get on the airplane The, the numbers on the plane uh, read at the end of the numbers read 666 now that that number is assigned by somebody else and it has absolutely in this particular Instance no spiritual meaning okay that number is assigned by by it in, numerically in a, in, in a particular order has no spiritual meaning But there were those who walked out and looked at it and refused to get on the plane because those numbers were on it Wouldn't even go and do what they had been called to do the guy Probably broke some laws and altered the number a little bit so they'd get on the plane He took them wherever they're supposed to be right i mean but we've got to be careful that we don't see these non-christian things around us and go whoa i'm just not going to jump in no we got to jump in with both feet non-christian can't mean no christian look a non-christian culture desperately needs influence from god's people desperately and it needs godly influence from god's people we have the opportunity to have a positive impact On a secular culture. What's it look like when non-Christian people have the opportunity to rub shoulders with people who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, y'all? We've got to get in there and we've got to have positive influences. We've got to carry the good news of the gospel into all these places. And I need you to do it with courage. It can be a little bit scary, right? Because those people aren't like me. Well, guess what? They might not be like you, but they need the God that you know. We've got to get there. So not only though should non-Christian not mean no Christian, I want you to go look at this. Entrenched beliefs do not make impossible converts. Entrenched beliefs do not make impossible converts. Listen, this culture was so committed to their paganism, they even dedicated their ships to pagan gods. Just think about what that looks like. We're not talking about a bumper sticker on the back of your car that that says, you know, teacher life or a bumper sticker. My favorite one recently, I got behind a, a big F-250 diesel that said I identify as a Prius. That was my favorite one. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we tend to put bumper stickers on our car or some of y'all do. And I know what you like because I get behind you in the school pickup line or sitting in a red light. Um, I I saw one the other day that was absolutely fantastic I mean some of these just and I tried to take a picture with my phone so I could share it with others and then my phone didn't do the right thing and I almost you know ran into somebody at the red light because I was trying to take a picture of their their bumper sticker because I thought it was funny and then uh, you, you can imagine me trying to explain that to the police officer right well what happened is I had a wreck because I was trying to take a picture of a bumper sticker this is not what's on this ship this isn't just a bumper sticker telling somebody that you're proud of your school or that you like your job or that you love your wife. This is a this is more than that. This is a ship that is committed and dedicated to these gods because these people believed that they needed this kind of protection that would be brought about only through their commitment to these pagan gods. And so they've carved this image into the ship. This is an entrenched belief system. Folks, have you ever been in a place or maybe among a people where you you saw that they were so committed to their non-Christian views, their non-Christian ways, that you began to believe if they could even possibly be saved. Maybe you've said, as I overheard recently, Pastor Craig, those people, that person is not interested in coming to our church. It would be a waste of time to invite them. Have you ever been in that place where you began to believe that? You began to believe that lie? Listen to me. No one is too lost to be saved. No one is too lost. No one person, no one culture, no one is too far away from Jesus that Jesus can't save them. I want to give you some encouragement. I want to give you some encouragement. When we think about our culture. Throughout history, when we've seen God do incredible things in revivals throughout Western history, it's often been that those revivals broke out in very unchurched time periods. It's often been the case that those revivals broke out when people were very far away from the Lord. It's often been the case that those revivals broke out when the churches had fallen on hard times because people were not regularly in attendance and yet the Holy Spirit of God could still break through in those moments. Why? Because no one is too lost to be saved. No individual, no culture, no group. Listen to me. Your family members are not too lost to be saved. Your mama's not too lost to be saved. Your children are not too lost to be saved. But if we're going to see them come to Christ, if we're going to believe that these entrenched beliefs do not make impossible converts, then we got to make sure that we're present among those people. Listen, circumstances can open doors for gospel witnesses, but only if a gospel witness is present. This is September the 10th. Tomorrow is September the 11th. A moment of remembrance for certain. But even as we remember the tragedy of that day, for those of us who are, have been alive long enough to remember it, even as we remember the tragedy of that day, many of us can remember that following that terrible day, the Sundays, the Sundays immediately following that day were filled with people in the churches. The churches were full of Why were churches full? Because suddenly there was a circumstance that caused people to cry out for hope. People were afraid. People were nervous. People were looking for answers and they ran to the place where they knew those answers could be found. They ran to the church of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen to me. If we believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then one of the things that we've got to be willing to do is to make certain that we continue to stay among lost people so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be powerful among those people. How regularly do you make intentional efforts to spend time among lost people? Some of you say, Pastor Craig, do you know my family? Some of you are like, Thanksgiving is around the way. We got it, I got it under control. Well, certainly. Some of you, those lost folks that desperately need Jesus are among your family members. And by all means, minister to your family members. But do you ever make intentional decisions in your life to spend time around people that need Jesus? Do you ever get your hair cut by somebody who needs Jesus on purpose? Do you ever go and eat at the same table at a restaurant because somebody there needs Jesus and you do it on purpose? Do you ever go to the same place to get your gas because somebody there needs Jesus and you go on purpose? Do you, ever, do you ever get involved in recreational activities because somebody there needs Jesus and you do it on purpose? Does that ever happen in your life? Is that a part of who you are? Do you make decisions in your life, at least on occasion, based on the question of whether or not the people in that particular place or the people that you will rub shoulders with have a need for Christ and you have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them? I came home the other day. I told Angela, I said, man, that was expensive. I don't know if we should continue doing this at that place. And she said, I know you should because I know that person needs Jesus. So just suck it up and write the check. I mean, this is what it's like to live with her. She was in the first service. I can talk trash. Um, But we need to be there, right? Because why? Listen, there are those who are really far from Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can begin to believe that there's no chance. But watch circumstances may change that will open doors for gospel witnesses and when they do the only hope we have of the gospel taking root in those particular places among those particular people in those individual lives the only hope we have is if there is a gospel witness present y'all be there and be ready you say craig they're not willing to listen they might not be but the day may come when they're asking and then you have an opportunity to give an answer be ready Entrenched beliefs don't make impossible converts. It just might take a little bit longer. Don't give up. Don't stop. Non-Christian must not mean no Christian. Entrenched beliefs do not make impossible converts. And third, this morning, God can use pagan practices to pave the way for gospel progress. Remember I told you that Paul had boarded a ship with these twin gods on it, Castor and Pollux. I don't know if I told you that they were known as the saviors. The Savior gods, that was was one of their nicknames. Not only were they a god of sailors and a god of shipping, they were the Savior gods. They had this expectation to save these sailors from the sea. Do, Do you see the irony here? That God puts the Apostle Paul on a ship dedicated to pagan Savior gods with the message of the one true Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That God uses a pagan ship to carry the good news of the one true and living God to the place where the gospel desperately needs to be preached. Y'all listen to me. God can use even pagan practices to pave the way for the gospel. If God can transport Paul to Rome on a ship dedicated to Roman gods, Suffice it to say, he can even use pagan practices to pave the way for the gospel. So don't be afraid of the world in which you live and how far it is from Jesus. The possibility exists that God may actually use those things to help you communicate the good news of the gospel. Now listen, beware, all right, warning, gospel potential is not permission for sinful practices. The ends do not always justify the means. I did have a man come to me one day. He said, "Pastor Craig, you could reach a lot of people if we do this." He said, "I've got an idea. Open up the gym. We'll buy two kegs of beer and a whole bunch of pizza. A lot of people will show up, and then you can pre- preach the gospel." He was as serious as a heart attack. I said, "Brother, we are Baptists. That don't work. Like we can't. I mean, maybe they could. The Episcopalians could probably do that. We can't do that." Um, and uh, but he was serious. I mean, that was that was he was he was legitimately honest. And his 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 end his end goal was was. Was good. He wanted people to hear the good news of the gospel, but the way that we were trying to get there didn't quite arrive at the way I would have encouraged. Listen, we got to be careful. Gospel potential is not permission for sinful practices. You don't get to be a jerk to somebody because you believe that in doing so, you're going to lead them to Jesus, all right? We're not going to break the law. We're not going to sin and then sort of baptize that with gospel potential. That's not the way that this works. So I do want to warn you with that. But just because We need to be careful that we don't take it too far doesn't mean that there's not incredible opportunities to lead people toward Jesus even using secular means. Listen, look for pathways to evangelism in secular people, places, and practices. And some of you say, well, Craig, that sounds like a great idea, but can you help me? I can. I'm glad you showed up today. Because this stage is full of things that are pagan symbols and practices. Right? It is. I, I shouldn't say symbols. That sounded horrible. That were one time considered to be pagan or secular at the very least. I mean, Kevin's playing an electric guitar today. I'm pretty sure that that is not acceptable in most... I mean, seriously, you think about that. Once upon a time, that would have been considered anathema in any church. But just in case you're concerned about what it looks like for the electric guitar to use, um, we 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 recognize that most sacred of all church instruments, the church organ. Now we don't have an organ anymore. Um, ours quit working in the old building, and when we tra- when we built this sanctuary, uh, the organ the organ went away. But. I love a beautiful pipe organ. I mean, I absolutely—I don't know that there's anything more incredible and beautiful and just overwhelming than one of those massive, beautiful pipe organs. But the reality is that an organ, as godly as it may seem, might not be exactly what you think. See, Mary didn't play an organ on her way to Bethlehem with Jesus. I know it's hard to believe, but the organ is not 2,000 years old. As a matter of fact, the organ is probably not nearly as ancient as many of you might, might believe. The organ began to be used in the local church during the Protestant Reformation, so about 500 years ago. Prior to that, there was no organ within the church, and the reason that the organ began to be used in that local church was because Martin Luther desired for the people there to be able to sing the good news of the gospel. He was writing music because the people, most of them were illiterate. They didn't have access even to the written word of God in their own language. And so Martin Luther desired for them to know the word and to know theology and to be able to own their faith. And so Luther went to where? He went to the bar, the pub, and there he took the organ and he carried it to the church. That's right. He took it out of the bar and brought it to the church. Why? Because even though it had been used... In secular ways, Luther saw the opportunity to baptize and sanctify that instrument and to redeem it for God's great purposes. Y'all, I want you to know, I want you to know that there are pathways to evangelism even in secular people, places, and practices, and we just don't need to be afraid of it. We need to look for every opportunity we can to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because nobody is so far away from the gospel that they're too lost to be saved. And if the apostle Paul could jump on board a pagan ship and sail to Rome, if Paul could go stand and preach in that paragon of paganism on the Oropagus at Mars Hill, if Paul could do that and preach the gospel in that place, if Paul could preach the gospel in all sorts of pagan environments, if the apostle Paul could do that, then guess what, folks? We can continue to be gospel witnesses in a culture that doesn't celebrate our Christian faith but we've got to decide that it matters enough we've got to decide that we're willing we've got to decide that we're willing to believe the gospel enough to do the hard things which brings us to our conclusion this morning is this question have you given up on the gospel have you given up on the gospel now, when I ask that question, most of us would give a knee-jerk reaction. Say, <laughs> "Absolutely not! I would never do that." But I'm just curious to know: Have you given up on the gospel in practice, even if you don't care to acknowledge that you finally surrendered it? Now, there's there's two two questions really here, and and two groups of folks for whom this this question can apply. The first one is. For those of you who may be here today that don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you're watching this at home and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you know things about the Lord, but the reality is you've given up on the gospel because you've really stopped believing that it was possible for God to save you. You've really stopped believing that it was possible for God to redeem you. To transform you. And so even though you might show up at church, even though you might tune in and watch, you've really stopped believing that the gospel is sufficient. I want you to know that God can save you, and He will. He will. I don't want you to give up on the gospel. Jesus is enough, and He died to save you from your sins. And the gospel is plenty to redeem you. And today can be the day of your salvation. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we stand and we sing in just a few minutes, I'd love for you to come forward so that I could introduce you to my Jesus. But there's another group of you for whom this question is incredibly important. It's those of you who know Jesus. Those of you who have a relationship with Christ. But you've really begun to question whether or not the gospel was enough in your own life. Now, granted, you're still showing up at church every day or every week. You're still reading your Bible. But there's two ways that followers of Jesus can begin to question the sufficiency and the power of the gospel. You can begin to give up on it. Some of you have begun to give up on it because you stopped believing that the gospel is enough to transform your culture. You started believing that the only way to save the culture was to boycott this or to vote for that or to get the right person into office. The only way to save the culture was politics or the only way to save the culture was this or that. And folks, I'm here to tell you that the gospel's enough. It's enough. You've stopped believing the gospel enough to actually share the good news of the gospel. And when you began to believe that if we could just get the right person in a position of power, then maybe things could be turned around. Listen, you started believing in a gospel that was not in this book because that's not what it teaches. It says that all who call the name of the Lord will be saved. It says we have a responsibility to go and make disciples, but it didn't say anything about power. It warns us about people in positions of power. The gospel has always moved from the bottom up. And you've stopped believing it. Oh, but some of you for whom... This sermon matters though haven't just stopped believing it in the way you practice your politics for some of you you've really stopped believing it in the way that you pray for your family members and your friends see the reality is that you've begun to believe that the entrenched belief system was just too much you've begun to believe that the pull of culture was too strong You've begun to believe that their non-Christian convictions were just too much. And you've just about given up. You've just about stopped praying. You've just about stopped hoping. And for those of you who are here today that have struggled to hope or to believe, I want to invite you this morning to trust again in a God who could put His missionary on a ship dedicated to pagan gods with the good news of the one true and living God whose only Son came, lived, died, and rose again. That He could put His missionary on a ship dedicated to pagan gods with that message bound for the center of the pagan world with the one hope that, that message could bring salvation in life to all who would hear and believe. So this morning, as our musicians come, that's our invitation and it's super simple. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, I would love to introduce you to Jesus. Would you come today? Would you come today and be saved? And the second thing is this, if you know Jesus today, but you've stopped believing that the gospel was really enough. You know that Jesus did enough to save you from your sin, but you stopped believing that the gospel was enough to redeem others. You stopped believing the gospel was enough to redeem your culture, to change your community, to save your children. Today I invite you. I invite you to come and pray. You can come and pray around this, this stage if you'd like. You can pray right there at your seat. I invite you to pray. To a God who can even take a pagan culture and use it for his eternal purposes. Come and pray to a God whose arm is not shortened so that he cannot save. Come and pray today. Come and pray. Do not lose hope. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. And thank you for Jesus who is enough thank you that he died on the cross to save us from our sin. Pray, Lord God, that we could trust in the power of the gospel to save us and to redeem us, to change our world. If there are those here who do not know you today, Lord God, I pray that you would call them. Lord God, call them out. Call them into your glorious gospel. Forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.